Hey, this is Rob Harder with Making Your World Better, a nonprofit leadership show where real stories from real people who are coming up with real solutions to solve society's biggest challenges. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? How do people fundraise in an economy that is constantly in flux? How do you relate to board members in a way that inspires them to make a difference? What are the best practices that separate effective nonprofits from others? It is my hope that through these episodes, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear real stories from real leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy this series as together we hear how they're making their world better. Welcome to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, Making Your World Better. Today's guest is Sean Malier. He's the chairman of the National Winter Sports Education Foundation and the chairman and CEO of the National Winter Activity Center. You're going to really enjoy hearing Sean today for many reasons. Number one, he's got a lot of experience in the nonprofit sector. In fact, one of the questions I ask him is um, why he leads the National Winter Activity Center and if he were to run this organization as if it was a for-profit organization, would it change the way he led? And he specifically talks about the importance of why it was so important to him why this is a nonprofit organization. There's some uniqueness of a nonprofit organization that made him or led him to be involved in this way. And so if you're a nonprofit leader, a volunteer, or a board member, you want to find out and hear why he has uh, very high words to say about nonprofits in general. And then also, for those who are from Park City and Utah, you'll really enjoy hearing about his skiing experience. In fact, his very first skiing experience was in Park City, and it was not a good one. And it wasn't because Park City or the mountain was not a good experience. It was because he was never, he was not a skier and he'd never skied before. And so it was a very uh, difficult experience to say the least. So I'll talk about that. It's kind of fun. And then finally, uh, Ted Ligety, uh, a Park City uh, favorite, of course, is on the board for his organization. And so there's some great ties between Utah and Park City and with what Sean is doing nationwide. I think you're going to really enjoy again what he has to share about how he's leading an organization to impact the next generation of students. Enjoy today's show. Welcome to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast. We have a very special guest today, Sean Malier. He is the chairman of the National Winter Sports Education Foundation and the chairman and CEO of the National Winter Activity Center. Sean is uh, calling in uh, through phone, and Sean, we're really excited to have you on the show today. Thank you, uh, Rob. It's, uh, it's great to be on there. This is it's exciting, especially since my, my first uh, experience uh, with uh, skiing actually happened in Utah, in Park City. Is that right? I didn't know that. Yes. What year was that and what resort? It's not a good story. It was at, um, at Park City. I was uh, in the Marine Corps, and my, uh, I was a pilot in the Marine Corps, and my uh, navigator and I decided to um, explore um, skiing in Park City, him being an avid skier and me being a never-ever. Um, of course, I did all of the wrong things. I went to Park City without the right equipment, no instruction, no lesson, and I think up the lift to payday with him, upon which I had never been on a lift, so getting off of it was quite an experience. Um, and the rest of it was history as I don't know how I made it down, but I, I think I hit a, a lady by mistake, and um, I left Park City with a promise never to try to sport again. However, is that right? Wow. Yeah, and um, and and that that's a bridge to where we're going with this. I actually end up um, um, connecting with uh, a ski club in Los Angeles, Four Seasons, 
West, which is one of the MBS's 45 clubs, which helped to socialize the sport for me. And, and I, you know, Misery Loves Company, I continue to, to pursue the sport and the uh, social side of it with members of the club. And, and from there, the, you know, developed an affinity for not only the sport, but for racing and then to be a coach and, and, and also to see how the sport and being outdoors can make a difference for people, especially myself, having grown up in the projects in the South Bronx. Well, that's what I think is your story is so fascinating. So yeah, talk about a little bit. Um, talk about why you pursued this and why is it so important that you're offering programs and activities for kids today? I, I think that it was a blessing and a miracle that I got the opportunity to try it out and to stick with it. Again, going to why winter sports clubs like um, the National Brotherhood of Skiers and their clubs help to move the sport along. But having done that, I realized that um, we needed to uh, make sure that the outdoors and activities like this, which are very helpful for participants, but also that there was access to all kids in all communities across the United States. So that led to the genesis of the National Winter Sports Education Foundation, which funds a number of programs across the United States like cross country in the Midwest. We have um, the Ted Ligley Learn to Ski in, in, in Salt Lake City. We have um, a YES program, which is doing cross country in Boston. And then opportunistically had the opportunity to acquire a facility and dedicate it to development. That is the opportunity for all kids to have access to learn the sport, master the skill, improve their health, and probably become lifetime enthusiasts and fans, and maybe some of them even compete, Rob. And that's fantastic. I mean, I think it's interesting. There's been debate recently about the ski industry and snowboard industry, for that matter, uh, as a whole, that maybe they're getting uh, too expensive for this next generation to get involved. So how are you overcoming that barrier by teaching kids the skills of skiing and snowboarding, uh, realizing there's some pretty high cost to get involved, to get equipment, and let alone the lift ticket price itself? I think you bring up a good point, that the sport is economically inaccessible to the masses. I, I look at us as kind of the um, the entity that kind of has um, destructive slash constructive innovation, in effect maybe being the Uber of the uh, ski industry, where if we can provide access to these youth in a way that makes it well, lowers the barriers of economics, lowers the barriers of geography, and even just visibility, and to allow them to master skills and then to work with surrounding ski areas like a mountain creek or Hunt and Wyndham, we feel that by us being able to do that, we're going to lower the cost of the industry introducing and acquiring new participants. And we hope that they will join us in making sure that this new population has a way to continue to sport and as they continue to make progress that they build into that process them at some point being able to afford that sport, working with partners in the industry, those participants' own growth and development as, as individuals and families and throughout their careers. But at the end, Rob, we're creating new participants, 
we're going to improve their health, and we're definitely going to make sure that they have such an experience that they're fans not only of the sport itself, but of some of the athletes who compete. That's fantastic. And, and let me ask you then on more on the education side, I guess, and the well-being side. Why, for you, why is it so important to get kids outside involved with skiing, snowboarding, and other winter sports? And specifically educationally and their sense of well-being, what differences have you seen that it makes? I think that there, first and foremost, when you provide access to any young person that's new, it stimulates their adventure, their quest for knowledge, um, experience. So they get excited about that. So that in itself starts to open up their eyes and their own selves to be able to pursue other things. You know, um, I think that that when you have that, um, that that actually changes or can impact the trajectory for for youth in some of the choices that they'll make, given that we have participants from 6 to 17, that somewhere along the line, this is going to make a difference in their lives and their journey as adults and, and family members and leaders. Good stuff. And you started, ironically, talking about your connection with Park City, and I'm glad that you didn't give up on skiing or winter sports. Um, but I do want to ask, that for those who are listening from the Utah and Park City area, um, I understand there is a tie uh, with Ted Ligety, Park City's own. They're very, we're very proud of him, uh, and the work at the National Winter Sports Activity Center. Uh, what is exactly the tie, and what would people in our area be excited to hear about this center? Oh, I think that Ted's been an incredible board member along with all our board members, and in, in helping us to make sure that we create the right processes and programs for sustainable experiences. I think Ted, as an athlete, an Olympian, as well as a board member, brings a unique perspective of how great the sport can be as a competitor, but even more so just being able to try that out. I think that, that Park City is always a special place in my heart because I, I, I had my first experiences there, as I said before, but also that it's kind of the, the center, I think, for, for the sport itself, uh, being that it's the home to the United States Ski and Snowboard Association. Um, it's hosted the Winter Olympics. There are so many things about Park City and Utah that are special for the sport that it only makes sense that our board, which includes a number of individuals from Utah, like Luke Bodensteiner, um, who is the executive vice president for USSA, um, Dick Coe, who's a former COO and lives in St. George, Utah. Um, these individuals bring with them a passion for the sport and that belief that the sport should be wide open to everybody because it's such an incredible opportunity to explore and to enjoy. Sean, I really love your passion on this one, and, and I really resonate with that because we actually here at the Christian Center of Park City, we partner with other nonprofits to help lower-income kids and families get involved uh, with skiing and snowboarding and enjoying the winter activities that we have here in Park City. So thank you for doing that. Not everyone does it, and I appreciate your work to do that. All right, Sean, now moving on to a broader question. Uh, in your role as chairman and CEO and with your experience in the nonprofit sector, what do you feel like, in your opinion, are the biggest challenges facing the nonprofit sector today? Oh, I think that uh, that nonprofits serve a, a incredible purpose in providing the things that government um, cannot do. I think that the biggest challenges from nonprofits um, is to, of course, have the resources, both human capital and 
and financial capital to to sustain their missions. And so the I, the the important part of fundraising, um, running the nonprofit as a business, so that you are able to ensure that you are in it for the long run, because we have a, a sacred mission as a nonprofit, and that is to provide for those um, participants and the people that we serve. So that's a even more serious um, objective to ensure that we run the businesses the right way, we do it with integrity and transparency, and we're constantly looking for ways to ensure that we're aligning our activities to what we're supposed to be accomplishing. So as you talk to other nonprofit leaders, as you go around and even coach and help other people, what do you see are some of the most common barriers to creating a successful and sustainable nonprofit? I think that the barriers are probably the self-limitations of, of us as leaders, that we have to, um, first and foremost, make sure that the, the mission that we serve is not only a benefit to the people we serve, but it's quantifiable. So that providing for the quantitative return on investment of time, talent, or treasure, so that you are able to point to this is how um, we make a difference, because that helps the support that we choose to garner from our, our contributors, those corporations that might support us, or grants. It makes it easy for them to see the return on their economic or intellectual investment in the particular nonprofit. I think that we have to take that perspective as a as we're, we're a business just like any other corporation, but with a much higher sense of mission. Um, the net operating income, or what others might call profits, are really resources that be used back in the nonprofit to improve the programs that we deliver, to make sure that we have the infrastructure necessary, and to make sure that we're going to be sustainable over the long run so that we don't let our constituents down. So I wonder about this. You know, if you were to do it all over again and start the Winter Activity Center, if you were to go the route of a for-profit angle, in other words, if you were to start this activity center as a for-profit organization, uh, would it be different? In other words, why did you decide to make this a nonprofit organization? Is there something distinct about the nonprofit sector that you wanted to make sure was part and parcel about this organization? Sure. I think it's, it's, it's my heart that at the end of the day, um, it's more important to me and to our team that we make a difference and use those resources to do that than to provide just a service for the sake of profits. And that's It depends on the motivation. And for me, my motivation is driven because I grew up in the South Bronx. I grew up in the projects. I would not be anywhere near where I am today if it had not been for organizations and entities like Boys and Girls Clubs, YMCA's. Um, churches and people who took an interest in me as an individual and, and, and as part of the society to provide me with some of the guidance and the resources that were necessary for me to get here. So it, it's, uh, it's natural for me, Rob. It's very important for me um, to align all of my skill sets, all of my energy with making a difference. 
I love that because, you know, a lot of the people that we interview on this podcast have come out of an experience where they've been part of a nonprofit uh, and they had such a good experience. They wanted to give back. So either in a role of a volunteer or serving on the board or perhaps even serving as an executive director or a full-time member of the team of a nonprofit. Um, so now as we transition, you've talked about what it takes to be a sustainable nonprofit. What does it take to be a successful nonprofit? Let's talk about fundraising. You know, it's consistently the issue of fundraising comes up on this podcast. And so I'm curious for you, you've done a lot of different things. You've had a lot of experience in the nonprofit sector. Um, in your opinion, what are the most effective methods when it comes to fundraising? I think that, you know, fundraising is, is a critical part of, of what a leader and leaders need to do in nonprofits. The most uh, critical part is to align your prospective contributors and supporters um, their hearts with what we do. And, and that's the key component because everybody who supports a nonprofit kind of has a passion for it. Not the kind of has, they, they do. And that passion is what allows them to either personally give, to take on that mission and internalize it to their friends, to their Rolodexes to do that, and to the greater community. So I think that you know, if you can, first of all, as a leader, you have to have the, the nonprofit in your heart so that um, as you speak to others, it's clear to them what your personal commitment is to it. And then that energy can help them to connect their objectives, their goals to make the difference with what you're doing as a nonprofit. So as a leader and leaders, we need to be the enablers of our contributors and supporters' dreams coming true through the mission of the nonprofits we lead. So as we think about fundraising and we broaden out to um, this next generation coming up, the millennials, um, we've also had people on the show talk about how they're changing the way they do fundraising because of millennials and how they respond to fundraising or not. So question for you, uh, I guess two really twofold question. Number one, are you seeing a trend where nonprofits either need to change the way they do fundraising or they just, the good ones are changing the way they do fundraising in order to reach millennials more effectively? And number two, are nonprofits needing to change the way they lead their nonprofit or does their organizational structure have to change in order to bring more millennials into their organization? Um, Rob, you know, I don't know about labeling any particular group and the behaviors of them are hard to, I think, um, have a collective strategy. But I would say that, that um, as, as human beings, we all have things that are important to us. And, and whether they're platforms for a healthy America or they are um, things that have to do with medical issues, with um, educational issues, or just activity issues, millennials or people in general, those things don't change, Rob. It may be that our communication with them has to change, but I would say from my staff here, who there are a bunch of millennials here, What's consistent about all of that is that they believe that this is not a job, uh, this is not a program, that this is a movement. And this movement is something that they can identify with in their own intellectual and emotional side, but allows them to, what I call it, protect this house. That they, this is their house, this is their nonprofit, and for them to act and, and, and be accountable and responsible 
for their particular nonprofit. And I, I think that that's, um, if that's new, then so be it. But it seems to me that it makes a, it's logical and makes a lot of sense. Well, thanks for that. And, you know, as you think about your own experience and as you look into the future, you know, 5, 10, 15 years, what are you most excited about when it comes to the National Winter Activity Center as well as the National Winter Sports Education Foundation? Are you hopeful? Are you encouraged? What does the future hold for your organizations? I think as a foundation, uh, we have a, a new leader, a, a new CEO, Constance Beverly, and, and with the board and those things, we continue on our metric to improve the life, health, and fitness of youth through winter activities. How we measure that is that our goal is to get to 100,000 kids per year in a sustainable fashion in winter activities. The National Winter Activity Center is a physical location. Uh, what we do is based upon what we brand under the name Elevate, E-L-V, the number eight, which is both an inspirational and an aspirational word. But we use that to connect our programs that on one side we have the learn program and on the other side we have the compete program. And, and with what we do here at the center, to look for other ski areas, who may want to use our program or our brand, Elevate, to do the same things we do here at the center, therefore and thereby, again, increasing the reach of what we do to affect more kids across the country. So as we do what we do here, we look for those opportunities in the Midwest and in, in Northern California, Southern California, to partner with other areas to be able to um, deploy this program and approach to have that same effect. And that approach is to, one, provide for programmatic, continuous instruction, healthy meals, the equipment and mentoring so that we're able to move and impact those youth so that they can go from never ever to expert they could go from recreational to maybe another Ted Ligety, but then we create that opportunity, removing or lowering the barriers of access like social economic issues, geography, or just the visibility to know that it's out there. That's um, the five-year outlook, and I and I'm excited about having you know a great team of individuals, an incredible board of directors. And now the support or the, the, the burgeoning or support of the industry because it makes so much sense to continue to grow and expand the industry to more participation. Now, you've done a really good job with the National Winter Activity Center to include all children. In other words, you include low-income children as well. So as you think about that, um, what are some of the biggest barriers you've run into in terms of getting lower-income kids involved with the activities that you provide? I think one of the barriers um, to all kids is, is knowing that it's out there and available to them. You know, there are kids who, you know, there are 2.5 million kids within a 70-mile radius of the center here in New Jersey. Um, there are multiple millions of kids that are probably within, you know, a 30 to 45 mile radius of, of skiing in, in, uh, Big Bear in Southern California. I think that the first thing is access and knowing that it's there. Um, the second key thing though is, is getting them there and transportation. 
and we're looking to figure out how to deploy the program in a way that lowers the cost of transportation because transportation actually is the limiting factor for most kids getting outside of their natural habitats where they live to explore other things. So over the long run, we'll be looking at ways to figure out how to make that less of a challenge and still to try to lower the cost of access by taking the resources that we use, that we develop from fundraising those things and even lowering the cost of participation at our own programs. Thanks for that. I really do look forward to hearing more about all that you're accomplishing there at the National Winters Activity Center and hearing more about your leadership. Um, so again, our guest has been today, Sean Malier. He's the chairman of the National Winter Sports Education Foundation, as well as the chairman and CEO of the National Winter Activity Center. Um, Sean, if they want to learn more about you or more about your organization, where do they go? I think the, the best place to look is, is um, surely on our website. Um, for the activity center, it's www.winter, the number four, kids.org. That's W-I-N-T-E-R, the number four, K-I-D-S.org. Or at our foundation site, which is www.nwsef. Dot org for the National Winter Sports Education Foundation, Rob. Well, thanks again for taking time, Sean, to be with us on the show. And, you know, it's near and dear to my heart because I live here in Park City. And, of course, winter activity is all around us. And uh, most people that come to Park City come because of the winter activity. But I thank you for what you're doing and really trying to get the next generation of students and leaders involved in all the joys of what it means to be outside and to enjoy winter activity. And you include everybody. You really have a focus, too, of including the lower income uh, kids and families to get involved as well. So thanks for what you're doing. Keep up the good work. And thanks again for your time today. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate it. I wanted to let you know that we are on iTunes. If you are wondering how to find out where we are, check us out on iTunes by typing Nonprofit Leadership Podcast or Rob Harder, and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you, when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast, and your feedback will help us expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as we can. You can also go online to listen to this podcast, either nonprofitleadershippodcast.org or my website, robharder.com. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep making your world better.